Hello and welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. On this Bad Beats episode, we will explore the human side of real estate investing with a seasoned pro about to make the legendary worst deal of their life. A deal isn't just the investment, it is also the person. Stay with us and learn what it takes to be the best investor. Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Nurse Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Royal-Smith, the owner of Royal Legal Solutions, your one-stop shop for everything, real estate, asset protection, uh, business tax, you name it, we got it. Uh, I'm here with a good friend, Brian. We are going to be going through a worse deal today, folks. Um, Brian has a doozy of a story. He's, he's let me know that he's gone back, actually researched his property after the fact uh, to really find out what the true pain of this this thing truly is. So um, I'm excited to hear more about it. And Brian, thank you for coming on the show. And what do we need to know about you and uh, what's going on you know, with you and your life before you get into this worst deal? Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks for having me on the show, Scott. It's great being here on uh, Real Estate Nerds. I've been looking forward to this. Um, yeah. What do you need to know about me? So I, my name is Brian Hamrick. I'm the uh, owner of Hamrick Investment Group. I host a podcast called the Rental Property Owner and Real Estate Investor Podcast. My um, primary investments are in multifamily residential apartments, commercial, and uh, I'm a net seller and I've, I've bought and sold over 450 units. Also invest in uh, self-storage and non-performing notes as a passive investor. Oh, that's awesome, Brian. And, and tell us about, from a 10,000 overfoot view, you know, what is this worst deal about? Is this is like with a bad note or is it a bad piece of self-storage or what's going on? Uh, well, Scott, it's, uh, it's ba basically, like I said, I've bought and sold over 450 units. This was probably the smallest of the deals I've ever done, but one of the most boneheaded and stupid deals that I've ever done. It's a, it's a one bedroom condo that was in Greensboro, North Carolina. And I'm not afraid to say where it was and what the name of the, the community was, because I'm sure there are people who might be familiar with this property. It was a heritage house in Greensboro, North Carolina. And uh, just to go, give you a little bit of background, I started investing back in 2001 when I read Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I was living in Los Angeles at the time, had a very good job in the movie marketing industry, and I wanted to start investing in real estate. So I took, uh, you know, I, I took some seminars, I went out, made some offers, and everything in LA was just so expensive. You, you just couldn't buy anything that cash flowed. And anything I made an offer on, it would just, uh, someone would pay cash 100,000 over asking price. So it was a very tough time, right. 2001, 2002. So I, I found a network that was investing in properties out of state, single family homes and condos. And they were investing in good neighborhoods, good areas uh, with job centers and, and all that. All the, all the demographics that you want to hit, they were investing in. And they had a network of brokers, insurance providers, property managers, you name it. It was kind of like a plug and play type investment uh, uh, group that I, that I joined. I ended up buying about seven single family homes in New Mexico, North Carolina, and South Carolina. And uh, all single families. Three of them were, were condos, uh, and they just, um, they were, they, that's how I got my start. I learned a lot from doing that, but it was supposed to be armchair investing, where I just have the team take care of everything, and I collect my check every month. Yeah. But they, 
have you have you ever invested that well, way? Well, I mean, it's I think it's almost like half illusion, right? With a lot of it, where like we think we're going to be able to, we just put the money in and then we're going to get checks out. You know, sometimes that can happen, but everybody seems to have like a lot to ask go in. It sounds like you had one expectation about what it was supposed to look like, but actually something else ended up happening. Yeah. So I had already invested in five or six properties at this point and I came and, and they were all going well because once, when you start at first, things tend to go well, you get a tenant in there, they pay their rent, you're collecting a little bit of cash flow. Uh, there's always that period where things are going good before things start turning south. Well, during that period, and I've got the, uh, the flyer here, I thought, Hey, this is great. You know, I'm, I'm buying, buy and hold properties on paper my expenses are a lot less than my, my uh, income and I should be cash flowing a couple hundred dollars each, pro each property. Well, I got this here. I don't know if you can see it in the camera, but I'll, I'll read it to you. It was a, this, this was a deal that just seemed so good. I could not pass it up. Uh, renovated condos, totally remodeled condos for sale, starting at 33,300 for studios, great location and price. Uh, this was an old hotel that had been turned into a senior citizen home that had then been converted into condos. Uh, this is in Greensboro, North Carolina, and it's called Heritage House. So I was basically able to buy uh, a studio, I, I said one bedroom, but I think it was a studio condo, fully furnished for $33,000 cash. And for that amount, I've got it right here somewhere. Here's, here's how the cash flow broke down on paper because it looked really good on paper. My estimated monthly expenses uh, were taxes of $35 a month, insurance $25 a month, HOA fees 57, and management fee $45 a month for a total expense of $162 and change. The projected rent was 500 to 525 a month. So I should have been cash flowing about 350 to 360 a month. And this was, this seemed so good a deal. I just, I couldn't wait to invest in it. And I was making enough money at my W2 job that it seemed like a relatively safe investment to make. Um, and I also, it was a little bit boneheaded of me because I, there was also ego involved in hubris because I'd been doing the passive armchair investing on the other single families. They seemed to be working out. Okay. How could I go wrong investing in this $33,000 condo. Well, how could you go wrong, right? Like what's the difference between investing in a condo and investing in the, in the single family? A lot of difference. Um, well, I'll get into why I don't, I will never invest in condos again. Um, uh, just briefly here, first of all, HOA fees, uh, always go up. So whatever, wherever they start, they're always going to go up when bad times hit like the recession, people stop paying their HOA fees. That means the community that you've invested into is not being taken care of. I've had so many problems with the HOAs on the, the three condos that I invested in that I'll just never do it again. Because um, mm -hmm. the, the quality of the community starts to go down as people stop paying their, their HOA fees. Um, there was also a couple emails that went back and forth and I highlighted a passage here. Uh, th this was all part of the marketing to get me excited to buy this property. Uh, the units are rent ready to include furnishings and appliances. Uh, there will not be any expenses after closing other than the monthly expenses noted in the cash flow analysis. As for the rental situation, the management company has already started advertising the property 
and has gotten great response. They are anxiously awaiting units to close so that they may start showing this property. So there was this urgency kind of building, you know, get your money in, units are going quickly, we want to start renting these out. It's a great piece of marketing right there. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of felt it. I'm like, wow, maybe I should buy two or three of these because at the time I had a really good W-2 job. I could almost afford doing that or at least borrow the money to, to do it. I did a little bit of due diligence because um, I figured, well, I'm already invested in this, this network. They've done a lot of the due diligence already. I called the property manager and they were, they, they said some things that I should have paid more attention to right up front. Because yeah. they, told, they told me a little bit about the history of the building, that the neighborhood had kind of gone downhill and that this property was being, had been rehabbed in order to bring the neighborhood back up to, to a better quality. Right there should have been a red flag. You got the I, nicest place in the neighborhood. Is yeah, what it's, tells you, right? Like that's like the number one thing you never want to have. You don't ever want to have the nicest house on the street or the nicest building in the area, right? Exactly. Yeah. In fact, yeah. it was kind of in a more of an industrial area from what I, what I remember him telling me. You got factories around there, like blowing smoke up in the air. And <laughs> I'm not, you know what, here's, yeah. here's a big problem. Here's why this was so boneheaded. I never visited the property. Never looked at it. Never had never. anybody drive out to check it never. out. Nope. Took, took the word of the, the network that I was involved in, took the word of the, the property. Wait, so manager you had the whole, yeah, like a network of people that were all buying into the same types of units. Yeah, this was a network in, in Los Angeles. I don't know if it's still around, but they were they had that kind of nationwide network of, of real estate brokers who were selling, um, you know, new build houses in South Carolina, VA foreclosures in New Mexico and North Carolina. I mean, they were all they were buying all over the country. And I would go to these meetings in L.A. and a broker would come in and do a presentation on, say, Fayetteville, North Carolina. And you'd have investors, California investors lined up to say, Hey, I want to, I'll buy this house. It's $5,000 down, you know, and, and it's an $80,000 house. What, when you live in California and you make California money, it's real easy to, to think that way. Wow. So, so you end up, uh, you know, going through the process, you end up talking, having the conversation uh, with a property manager, everybody in your deal network is saying, Hey, these look like they're great deals. You should be checking them out. Um, you talk to the property manager, they tell you a couple of things, but none of them that sounds, you know, you know, it's not like saying, Hey, we just had to fight off the rats getting out of here. It was more just like, Hey, you know, this is, you know, we, it's a rough area. Just know that getting in. I bet when you hear that though, you're like, Oh, okay. Well, that's probably why it's such a good deal. You know, that's normally what I would think, right? The, oh, that's why they have it priced like that. You know, yeah, and, okay, so it's a little rougher, but I'm not there. I don't have to manage it. It's cash flowing well you know, into it. They're going to take care of all the problems with it being in a lower, worse area. So I don't have to worry about all that. I mean, I could see how I could talk myself into it, you know, and in, in that kind of deal. Exactly. You're getting in at, at the ground floor of a, of a development that's going to rehabilitate the neighborhood. You know, yeah. that's, that's going to bring some form of gentrification to the neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, and in talking to the, the property manager, he convinced me well enough that he was, he and his wife were looking out for the property, taking good care of it. It was a beautiful property from what I understand. Uh, it just wasn't in the best area. Yeah. So I ended up closing on, on this studio apartment. I know I said it was a one bedroom, but now that I look at the, my paperwork here, it was a condo, a one bedroom or a studio. I'm sorry. And, uh, Right away, uh, we got a tenant in there, but they weren't paying that 500 to 550 
it was closer to 475. So already my, my uh, cash flow of 360 got knocked down by about $50. That's okay. I was just looking to um, uh, get the cash flow and own the property. And probably for the first year, things went okay. But then things started to go south. Uh, the tenant moved out. I never found out why. Uh, and it sat vacant for a little while. Uh, finally, we got another tenant in there, but the rent went down to 400. So no longer was I getting 475. Now I was getting 400. Uh, plus I had to pay for new furniture because somehow the furniture that had been in there got damaged. Uh, I really was busy with my job and didn't have time to think about it. So I'm just like, okay, that's fine. And things started to get worse and worse. Um, windows would get broken. I'd have to pay for more furniture that got stolen or broken. Tenants would stop paying. We'd have to evict. I kept getting um, requests from my management company to send money because they needed to repair things or buy new furniture. So pretty soon within the first two years, I was cash flow negative on this property. And after one tenant got evicted, the property just kind of sat there for a long time without anyone moving in. So I finally got up the gumption to fire that property manager and bring in a completely different property manager who got a tenant in there. Things seemed to be going okay. And then what happened was uh, things stopped going okay. And I got a call from the property manager saying, oh, we need to replace the carpet in the hallway outside your unit because someone set a fire there. And I, I remember asking, well, why would someone set a fire in the, in, the, in the hallway? That just doesn't make any sense. And the more I dug into it, I learned that there was a woman and her daughter living there. And I was afraid for their safety because things just seemed to be going, you could tell that this property was going south. And then that woman and her daughter moved out. I can't remember if, if uh, they just stopped paying and moved or, or they just left. But uh, again, the, the place sat empty. And I found, I, I went online and I did a little research and I found a review from that period, uh, 2006 to 2007, from someone who had lived there. And it says, I lived I lived there in this heritage house with my kids for nearly a year. It was horrendous. Drug dealers, prostitutes, thieves, homeless people, all urinating in the hallways, stairwells, elevators, and yes, the dryers and air conditioning units in the laundry room. The, that's incredible. Yeah. and it, 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 That's wild. So they had property managers, but there was no on-site management. Or something like that. Like there's nobody like there watching it to like crack skulls, you know, apparently, like what's going on. Here's the thing. Apparently there was an on-site manager. Cause there, when I was told. Were they drunk all the time or what? Like how do you, how do you have an on-site manager? Well, I can tell on? you cause it's, it's right here, but we, there was supposed to be on-site security at this property. And it sounds yeah. like in, in reality, it turned out there was none. Oh, but here's yeah. what the review. And I, I believe this review. <clears throat> here's what it says about the on-site employee. It says the on-site employee is a crackhead and used the prostitute service and had been in prison before. Tenants took pictures of him smoking crack and running around with the prostitutes and the management never did anything to fire him. Amazing. Last 
Yeah, and it, and then it gets better because the it says last year the prostitute he was using threw a brick through a window downstairs, and then she went into the community watch meeting and told them she did it and dared them to try and catch her. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! This is what was happening at my thirty-one thousand dollar condo. That's so horrible. Yeah. Oh man. So what do you do? Like, what do you do when you find out, you know, I mean, what do you do in that kind of situation? Because it's, it's almost like uh, you're kind of trapped in an asset, right? Like, who's going to buy that? Yeah, because uh, at some yeah. point, you know, I, and I had also made the boneheaded mistake of buying this condo in my personal name. I did mm -hmm. not have it in an LLC or anything. So at some point I started to worry, gee, someone's going to get killed there. And mm -hmm. I'm going to be liable to some extent, because my name is, is on the, the deed for this unit. Yeah. I have to get rid of this property. So I, I called, well, yeah, I called a, my manager who was at that point was basically MIA and wasn't doing anything for me. He was just charging me a hundred dollars a month to put an advertisement in the newspaper so he could find a tenant. And I, but I did get the name of a real estate agent who was able to sell condos in that area. And I called her up, told her about my, my unit. And she said, well, I could probably get somewhere between two to $4,000 for it. No way. That's so I bought, yeah. Cause there were, there were buyers who were buying, you know, basically they had no problem with the war zone type properties uh, that they could get for pennies on a dollar. And they were willing to pay three to $4,000. So I bought this, this unit in 2005 for 32,000, give or take, and sold it in 2010 for $3,000. Wow. Yeah. Wow, Brian. So what is, uh, what's the lesson learned here? I mean, for you, I mean, I'm sure there's a ton of them, you know, that go into it. See, the issue, the, the kind of thing that I have like with this, this uh, story is that, uh, I could see that um, that in some situations that everything could have played out totally different given the facts. Yeah, maybe the maybe the neighborhood does turn around, right? You know, from what they're doing. Um, is that is that something that you take from it and say, hey, listen, you know, next time when I'm in that kind of situation, I'm either not going to take that kind of risk, you know, trying to um, be the flagship building in a regentrifying area, um, or or just be more cautious with it? Or, or what do you do, you know, if you were given that kind of opportunity again? Yeah, if, if I was given that opportunity again, I would get to know the management team and the turnaround team a lot better. It, it would take more than one phone conversation to convince me that this is a property I should invest in. Uh, even at that price, which at the time seemed, seemed like a bargain, um, I, I should have taken a trip out there. I should have seen the neighborhood. I should have seen the property. I should have called the police department. I should have talked to the developer. Um, I, it, yeah, I forgot to mention within a year after buying the unit, uh, the HOA was suing the developer because they never followed through on all the things that they had promised to do. Um, so that was a big problem right there. Uh, my real takeaway after I eventually sold all seven of these properties that I bought out of state was from now on, I'm, I only buy in my backyard or within a, a one to two hour radius of where I live. So um, all of my residential properties right now are within a 20 minute drive of where I live. Yeah. Because that way I can go get eyes on the property. I know the management team. I can, if there's a problem, I can meet them at the property. 
and, uh, you know, just take care of things. Yeah. I mean, I think that's something that, you know, I'm picking up from your story and that I've heard, you know, a lot from other investors is when you're, when you're going out of state, you just have to spend a lot more time on the, uh, on the phone with people. I mean, I know some investors that always do like video chats and they do extended meetings with people, not just like five minute meetings, but they'll block out like a half hour to like really sit with the people um, to, uh, to get that feel of like what you can't pick up, you know, over five minutes. Cause it's kind of like you're playing a guessing game and it has a lot to do with faith with other people, which means you got to have to really um, commit enough time for to, to really pick up on whether they're full of it or not. Right. Or like pick up on a sense of like, ah, they're hiding something or they had to really struggle with that answer, you know, something mm -hmm. like that maybe. But I, I think it's tough. I mean, looking to invest outside of your backyard is um, it's a whole different kind of game. Um, and it sounds like what your, your, your uh, conclusion to that was, I'm just not going to play that game anymore. Like, I don't like that game. <laughs> I got burned. Uh, I'm going to my backyard and this is where my toys are going to be kept. Absolutely. And I, I think having, the right management is key to success in, in real estate investing. And I don't manage my own properties. I, I hire third-party property management. And you really have to know your team and trust your team. Uh, the, the idea of armchair investing uh, that, that I was sold on in the beginning, it turned out to be more like uh, sitting in an armchair with a bad headache type investing. Because even though theoretically this long-distance management company and this long-distance team is going to take care of things for you, Every time there's a problem, you're getting a call or an email saying, oh, you need to send us more money. Oh, your tenant just got evicted or they ran off without paying the rent. Uh, it just became a lot of headaches. And, yeah. uh, and, and so, but I do want to make the distinction between armchair investing and passive investing, which a lot of people do in other people's syndications, which is a completely different thing. Yeah. Well, the syndications is uh, much more of a... Uh, my, much more passive, right? The armchair investing where you're actually owning the asset, the underlying asset yourself and having to manage it, I think is where you end up with your at. But like I've seen, you know, the guys that I've seen do syndications, you usually you don't get quite the benefits, you know, of owning the property you do before, but uh, you get, you just get to diversify your portfolio. Yeah. Um, and, a and you have an asset manager who's dealing with those headaches for you. Yeah, and they're, and they're incentivized to do it, right? Um, because that's a lot of times that's how people are structuring those deals from the operating agreements. At least that's the way they used to be right now. I think I see operating agreements that are all over the place with crowdfunding and whatnot coming in where you just get, um, get deals where they don't make any sense. Like the incentives aren't right, you know, for, for people to come into it. But, um, but definitely, you know, I think the syndication deals are um, pretty great. I was actually up with the 506 group presenting at their their conference up in Dallas this last weekend and we were talking about that like the differences between those two types of investments and um, like what you can expect um, with it so um, that, that's great Brian so um, you know in terms of um, Brian for anybody that wants to get a hold of you or, or um, who are the people that you're trying to connect with and, and what's the best way for them to reach you uh, well, the best way to reach me, uh, there's two ways. One is go to my website, which is uh, uh, higinvestor.com. That's H-I-G investor, I-N-V-E-S-T-O-R.com. Uh, you can find out more about me there. And also listen to the podcast that I host. It's called the Rental Property Owner and Real Estate Investor Podcast. You've been on, a guest on it before, Scott. So thank you for, for that. Uh, it's, a, it's a great show. It's for all levels of real estate investors. And, and we look at all the different niches that you can get into. Um, but before, before you let me go, mm -hmm. I, since I was doing my homework and this was kind of a nice trip down memory lane, looking at this property again, 
I found an article dated 2016. Do you mind if I uh, absolutely yeah a few highlights here? Yeah. So this is on this this Heritage House, and the, the headline is, uh, and this is from 2016. Uh, Greensboro gives Heritage House owners last chance to sell their apartments. Uh, city employees sent out last chance letters to the remaining 17 owners of units in the building, which had been boarded up since it was it, since its condemnation in July 2014. So the building was eventually condemned. And, and uh, here's what they found. Uh, in 2014, housing inspectors found bed bugs, broken smoke detectors, animal feces, and other health hazards in the structure. Uh, and it, they determined it would cost about $16 million to make the apartment building habitable. So they condemned it. Uh, I, they're going to tear it down. I, maybe they've already torn it down at this point. But uh, I, I think I got out just in time. Yeah, at least you got out before you lost everything, brother. You know, I mean, like sometimes there's that kind of silver lining where like, eh, well, at least I only got kicked once, you know, <laughs> that deals with twice. So that's awesome, man. Well, sorry to hear about your bad beat, Brian, but it sounds like you picked up some good lessons from it. And um, I think we all learned something here today about, you know, what are we looking, what are we looking at when we're going down that kind of, that kind of path. So thanks for sharing your story um, about that. And I'll look forward to having you here on the, on the show again here soon. And um, again, can you, you want to uh, plug your website again one more time just for anybody looking to uh, get a hold of you? Sure. Higinvestor.com, H-I-G-I-N-V-E-S-T-O-R.com and the Rental Property Owner and Real Estate Investor Podcast. That's awesome. Thanks, Brian. Uh, as always, guys, I'm your host, Scott Royal Smith. This is the Real Estate Nerds Podcast, and I'll see you guys here again soon. That's all for this Bad Beats episode. I'm your host, Scott Royal Smith, with the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. Did you see yourself in any part of that story? I know I did. If you enjoyed the show, leave a review to help clue in the sleeping masses of what they need to know and what we all need reminders of. Do your good deed for the day. Thanks, and I'll see you again soon.